Welcome to Advent Christian Voices with the New Church Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Reynolds, and I'm joined with uh, the great and wonderful Justin Nash. We're seeking to lead this discussion while providing practical advice on church health among Advent Christians. How are you doing today, Justin? Uh, better than I deserve there, Eric. So I'm glad to, happy to be here. Just happy did, to be here. Did you catch the uh, the Southwest Cavs game last night? No, but I'm, I'm really glad. Um, I'm tired of hearing about LeBron being the GOAT. Michael Jordan's the GOAT, and there's end no of discussion. End no of doubt. Discussion. No uh, doubt. Because how many finals did Jordan lose? Zero. I will tell you, I watched last night's game, and I'm looking at LeBron James, who had a triple-double, had 40-plus points, and it is the most unremarkable triple-double I've ever seen. I don't think I've ever described the triple-double as unremarkable. Yeah. Yeah, no, he, it's, I think the, the rest of his team just stinks. I mean, and the Celtics are really good, and they're very disciplined. So It's not that they stink, because I think – I, I really think it comes down to coaching and building a strong bond. LeBron James seems like a toxic individual or a toxic leader because he makes everything all about him. So I don't necessarily think that, like, if you look, J.R. Uh, Smith has routinely been a great player. Um, you look at other players on that team, Tristan Thompson and uh, uh, Kevin Love. Those are all guys who themselves, if they were on another team, you would go, oh, they're probably a third star. Mm-hmm. on a championship contender um, or a second star. And, you know, I, I think it comes down to LeBron James just – he he's toxic, man. He's toxic. No, he's not the GOAT. That's all I know. All right. Well, let's get into things, man. We're going to talk today about the nine marks of a healthy church. Um, this comes from Mark Dever and the Nine Marks Foundation. I think it, I forget exactly if it's a foundation or organization, but Mark Dever, he's the senior pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church down in Washington, D.C. This is a very widespread and popular book, uh, especially among uh, reformed folks uh, who look to scripture to guide them in what healthy churches look like. So I'm really glad to talk about this today um, and about what those nine marks as Mark Dever shares them are. So, um, so Justin, what are the nine marks of a healthy church? Uh, so the nine marks of a healthy church. Um, so you got Mark one is expositional preaching. Mark two is biblical theology Mark three is the gospel. Mark four is a biblical understanding of conversion. Mark five, a biblical understanding of evangelism. Mark six is a biblical understanding of church membership. Mark seven is a is biblical church discipline. I don't know, it'd be fun. Um, uh, Mark 8 is a concern for discipleship and growth. And then Mark 9 is biblical church leadership. Well, those are the nine marks. If you have those things in your church, uh, you're going to be a healthy church. You're going to be a thriving church. And that ends today's podcast. God bless. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so for those still listening after that send-off, um, let's talk about these nine marks briefly. We're not going to go into each one in depth. That will be for a later time. Like Justin and I have discussed doing um, you know, episodes on specifically one mark at a time. But um, in a sentence or two, Justin, can you describe for me what expositional preaching is? 
expositional preaching is preaching which takes for the point of the sermon the point of a particular passage of scripture that's mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. uh, the preacher opens the word and unfolds it for the people of god that's mm -hmm. actually an exact quote from Dever's book but i think this <laughs> I, I think this really sums it up well because it's really is the point of the sermon the point of the passage mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. i mean that's that's basically it i mean so an expositional preaching i think can come in a lot of forms uh, people can do it in a lot of different ways, but it's really is the point of the passage, the point of your sermon. Right. And a lot of people, when they think expositional, expositional preaching, the first thing that often comes to mind is going verse by verse through an entire book of the Bible. Um, that's, that's my preferred method of preaching. However, there are other ways of, of doing expositional preaching as I've listen to others i know like mark dever has advocated like you could preach a sermon on the entire book an entire book of the bible and it'd be mm -hmm. an expository sermon what's the what's the point in genesis and making that your sermon now obviously you're probably not going to read the entire book of genesis in that sermon so that'd be a little bit difficult um and there's also other things that I think you can do. Like it, a lot of people like to preach topically in the sense of pick, Hey, this week or this month, we're going to cover the family. So um, like a healthy way of going about that, I would suggest is probably like looking at Ephesians and looking at Ephesians four and five and how is the family set up the role of the church in the family and, um, and going that way. But, I think because I've been in churches that do topical sermons and they really just kind of more often than not pick a verse here and cherry pick a verse there and try and make the Bible say what it's supposed to say. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I think you would agree, Justin, let me know what, what you think. But if you aren't uh, necessarily letting the scripture speak for itself, then you're really just being eisegetical, meaning you're giving your own in your your own thoughts onto the passage and reading that into it. Right. I mean, what you're describing is exactly what happens. People have a point they want to make, and then they find the scripture that helps them make that point, and they just ignore context and meaning and all those other things that are so important. I want to read a quote from Dever here uh, because I think it's it, it speaks to the importance of this. Uh, he said, he said this is, there's a reason this is the first mark. It is, he said it's also far and away the most important of them all, because if you get this one right, all the others should follow. This is a crucial mark. But if you get if you get the priority of the word established, then you have in place the single most important aspect of the church's life and growing health is virtually assured because God has decided to act by his spirit through his word. Mm. And and so Dever hits it. And I think that's important. And I think in, in regards to church revitalization particularly if you look at the literature both if you look at uh something that's a, a bit more quantified and um uh, oh gosh like a statistical study like there's actually science behind it it's good statistics statistical data something like breakout churches by tom rayner or uh, comeback churches by ed stetzer one of the things that pops up in both those books for revitalizations is preaching and the importance mm -hmm. of it, and especially the importance of, of expositional or expository preaching. It's, it's a major factor. More anecdotally, if you look at other, if you just read guys who have done revitalizations, that comes out to be one of the very most important things. And a lot of guys do advocate for that sort of let go continuum 
verse by verse through a book kind of mm-hmm. preaching. Although you're right, you don't have to do that. You can do other things and it still be expository, but is the point of the scripture, the point of your sermon. That mm-hmm. is really the, the goal. Right. Right. Um, so next we have biblical theology. Um, do you want to take that one or do you want me to take that Justin? Yeah, no, you go ahead. Go ahead. So biblical theology, there's a number of definitions out there. Um, but I would suggest that biblical theology is understanding the theme of scripture from beginning to end, the redemptive theme. So being able to see, um, Christ at the center of the old Testament in, in calling forth that Christ is coming in the Messiah. And then looking at the new Testament and seeing it either, uh, in his ministry, uh, through the gospels or calling back to what Christ has done is doing and will do, um, through the letters and, and epistles and whatnot. So, um, that is really developing a biblical theology, whereas a systematic theology is combining, um, you know, seeing, okay, what does God say about himself? So how does he reveal himself in the scriptures? What does he say about his holiness um, and the different attributes that he has? Whereas biblical theology takes more of an overarching theme. Um, Do you have anything to add to that, Justin? No, I think it's a good point. It's a, no. So oftentimes I think biblical theology gets sort of juxtaposed against systematic theology i don't think they're necessarily contradictory to one another mm-hmm. or against mm-hmm. it. i think they work together but it is important to understand those big overarching themes I and mean, a really good example of this and i don't know uh it's this current it's a little bit of a rabbit trail but but andy stanley everybody knows who andy stanley is recently he just i'm a christian i don't know who andy stanley oh, is so recently he just you know <laughs> he's a mega church pastor in atlanta if you don't know who he is son of charles stanley he recently preached a sermon on Acts 15 where he said very explicitly, we need to get rid of the Old Testament. Like we don't need to use the Old Testament in church, in our preaching, in our in our presentation of the gospel. Don't use the Old Testament because it just clutters things up too much. There's too much bad stuff in there that confuses people. So we don't need it. And and that's an example of someone who's not practicing biblical theology right because right. it's like you said the new testament is rooted in the old without without understanding like the covenants of the old testament without understanding god's plan of redemption but without understanding why we need redemption mm-hmm. you can't and and that really is sort of i, I think anyway the the main if there's one main arc or storyline of scripture it's redemption it's mm-hmm. god redeeming his creation and but if you lose you can lose sight of that and you can can get lost and make some bad decisions theologically when you do that so that's one biblical theology i think everybody would claim to have biblical theology of course but i think you summed it up well it's about being able to trace those major themes throughout scripture and in you know, I'll save Andy Stanley for probably our offline conversations, but right, right. it seems like in recent memory, I can't get away from that guy um, and having conversations about him. So some of you who listen to the podcast will know what I'm talking about. Um, others, you'll be left wondering. But uh, Stanley has some great uh, information that I think that he can impart some some wisdom in certain areas. But uh, you really got to take him with a grain of salt um, for the reasons that you mentioned. So next the gospel the church has to have the gospel right yeah and you have to know what it is and i think that's dever's point here 
is that that most Christians, if you if you went into most evangelical churches today, the vast majority of Christians could not give a reasonable and correct explanation of what the gospel is mm-hmm. at the bottom line. And that's that's what he's talking about. If you get the gospel wrong, you've missed everything. Mm-hmm. And so understanding the gospel is not complicated, but people don't seem to understand. Even and church people, people who would claim to believe it, don't seem to understand it. Dever's point is that you better get that right. There's a really helpful book that Nine Marks published by Greg Gilbert. Uh, it's called What is the Gospel? And, and Gilbert just lays it out really well. God, man, Jesus response, right? That's, that's kind of the, that's, that's the gospel message and sort of these big, big strokes to an outline to help you remember it. And, and there really is the gospel is, as John Stott said, uh, the gospel is that God saves sinners. And we, we said, we need all that. And we need to remember that Jesus didn't come to give us our best life. Now he came to save us and make us holy to live with him forever. So. Best life now. That sounds like a book. Yeah, if, I don't know. Is it? <laughs> so the only thing that I would add to add to that is, and you were here when we had our Heritage Advent Christian Conference annual meeting, and uh, I had the opportunity to share a devotional on gospel fluency. And I think that one thing that we can often get lost, we might have an academic understanding or, or an intellectual understanding of what the gospel is. We can say it in a sentence or two sentences or or how or in a paragraph. But I think that that's an elementary understanding of the gospel, which I think is crucial. And you have to have that, I believe as a, as a follower of Christ um, for the purpose of your own spiritual health, but taking it to the next level and understanding how does, how does the gospel speak into the, into my life on a daily basis, into every area of my life? Like how does the gospel redeem, not just my time here in a church building, or with other believers, but how does the gospel redeem my time when I'm with those who are lost? Um, and again, we'll probably cover more of that when we go over the gospel at a later podcast. But I think that's crucial to to this uh, this mark as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, Mark four, a biblical understanding of conversion. Yeah. So, I mean, what does it? What does it really mean to be converted? How does it change our life? What have we been changed from? What have we been converted to? Uh, change is, it's about change. It's about re- you know, repentance. It's a bit of a dirty word, it seems. And, and that, you know, just turning around and going back the other direction. Mm-hmm. And it's understanding really what it means to put your faith in Christ and to have been changed by him. Mm-hmm. And I think, though, I wonder if the reason that repentance has become a dirty word is that we look at it as obligatory or something that we're forced to do rather than one is unable to truly repent unless one has been saved. Our repentance is actually an opportunity. Our repentance is a gift from God that we can turn away from the sin and turn towards him in faith and and not be chained to the sins in which uh, we were once enslaved. So, as you said, a biblical convert understanding of conversion is understanding that those chains that have bound us in the past no longer have that power anymore. Um, and all too often, we allow ourselves to to sit in our cell and have these chains 
dropped next to us, but we still just sit there with the chains right next to us and allowing them to bind us, even though their power is no longer there. Yeah. So, I mean, I think in a more basic way, it's just if you get the gospel wrong, you're going to get conversion wrong. Mm-hmm. If you think that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life and you're cool and he's lucky to have you on his team, it's you don't need to repent. Mm-hmm. You don't need to really be converted. And right. so, it, so this one really flows out of a correct understanding of the gospel. That's right. all I'd say about that. Uh, a biblical understanding of evangelism is Mark number five. Uh, so I saw a really interesting Barna thing the other day that I think it was 76% of people in churches didn't know what the Great Commission was. Wait, excuse me? Yeah, I think that was it. I'll see uh, while we're talking. I'll see if I can find that number because it was a Barna survey and it was a boatload of people in the church that uh, did not know the, 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 what they, they did. They were unfamiliar with what the Great Commission was. That's just crazy, man. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, so having a biblical understanding of evangelism, so oh, knowing— I'm sorry, I'm sorry, it's 51%. Sorry, that was— So was half, about half. A little over half of all churchgoers don't know what the Great Commission is. Well, I'd suggest that for the most part, and we'll talk about this in a later um, podcast, you know, when we talk about mission and things like that, what God has called us to. Um, and, and by the way, uh, never mind, I'll, I'll leave that I'll leave that side trail for another time. But um, the, the mission that God's called us to is to evangelize, to disciple. Um, and I'm of the thought that evangelism is just part of discipleship. So, you know, a biblical understanding of evangelism says we are called. God has called us to himself for his own purpose and his own glory. That is fulfilled as he has sent us as people to go and reach the world with the gospel and make his name great. So, um, no, Mark six, a biblical understanding of church membership. I'm sure this is near and dear to your heart. Yeah, again, it really, if we think of it from a revitalization perspective, church membership is actually extremely important. This idea of belonging and being connected in a real and intimate way to other people and being accountable mutually and mutually submissive to people and understanding, number one, that while the phrase church membership does not appear in the Bible, the concept definitely does. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Jonathan Lehman, who he's written some great stuff on church membership. Lehman's been very, very uh, just it, he, he's really got a book. I think it's just called church membership that really just lays it out how it really is a biblical concept that the New Testament knows nothing of a Christian who is not a member of a church. Right. And and so that's what that's what the nine marks. But in our culture, um, that our culture is very consumeristic and just sort of it, people treat their church membership very flippantly. There's a stat in this book that's probably still pretty accurate that the typical Southern Baptist church has 233 members, only 70% of whom are present at the typical Sunday morning worship service. Wow. Wow. 
Yeah. So, and but that's typical. I mean, it's not just the Southern Baptist churches. That's Advent Christian churches too. That there's this people don't have any sort of commitment. And again, if you look at revitalization, the, the work on revitalization, both the hard the hard data, the science of the looking at it statistically and anecdotally, a an increased um, and making church membership a priority and making church membership meaningful is one of the things that has strengthened and revitalized a number of churches. You, you because we think let's make it as easy as possible to let people in, but that's it doesn't work that way. It's counterintuitive, I know, but as we make if we set high expectations for church membership, then people people respond better and the church is much healthier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's just kind of well, and, point. and one of the things I'm convinced that, and again, this is anecdotal ev- evidence, but what I'm convinced of in that, you know, how our churches, not just Evan Christian churches, but many churches in general, how where they lack in their ability in discipleship and in membership and whatnot, they have a lot of those people who have simply been converted, but haven't really, you know, folks who've been in the faith for 20 years, haven't really done much repenting. Right. They they've kind of um, they've been converted, but have not grown in the faith whatsoever. And I think it's because one of the ways that we have shared the gospel with people or even call people towards membership is we give very, very low expectations. Just show up here on Sunday, you know, once or twice a month. Um, read your Bible once in a while. Um, you know, OK, if you don't have a desire to change your life, you know, just you know, God will eventually change that desire for you. And, and once that happens, then you can start changing things in your life and whatnot. Um, That's a very low bar. And when we look at how Christ called disciples, he was literally in what we would look at in modern times, the worst evangelist, right? Because he would call people to give their entire lives, give up everything, Rich young ruler comes to him and says, Lord, I fulfilled all the commandments. What, you know, what more do I need to do to inherit the kingdom of God? Well, you must sell everything. Mm -hmm. Oh, I can't do that. So he, he, he calls people to cast everything aside for the sake of him to even like set aside their own reverence for their parents. If that gets in the way of following him. So we need to have a higher level of commitment and we'll, and let people know, like, we don't want to pull the okie doke, right? We don't want to, we don't want to be these people who don't look at me like that. For those of you, I don't know what that is. Okie doke. You know, the, the, you don't want to, you know, give them, uh, say, Hey, this is what you need to do. And then once they, once they're in the club, then go, nah, I was just kidding. You need to do more than that. You know, bait bait and switch. Okay. Yeah. The bait and switch. I call it the okie doke. Okay. So you don't want to pull the okie doke on them or the bait and switch. Okay. And like we need, you can't read the Bible and go, oh yeah, my, you know, if I'm truly saved, there's going to be no evidence of that in my life. You just can't. Like I would challenge literally anybody. Um, you can email me at jnash at acgc.us and um, yell at me all you want. Uh, expletives are okay and uh, personal attacks are, are great and email me and tell me how you can read the Bible and see that there is absolutely no way your life can change. So, sorry. Yeah, no, 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 you're right. I, of course, Diedrich Bonhoeffer 
wrote Cost of Discipleship, which is a great book. And he talks about it's what he calls cheap grace. Right. This idea that we can come to Christ and it cost us nothing. Mm -hmm. Uh, When Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Mm -hmm. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. I mean, so yeah. yeah. So Jesus is, is pretty, pretty tough on that. And, and so his expectations are very high. Therefore our expectation. And I think, I think you make a really good point there. And this is related to the evangelism piece as well, is that we need to be this on the front end. Mm-hmm. Because so often we come to say to people and say, oh, your life's a mess. Well, come to Jesus and he'll make it all better and he'll straighten everything out and you'll be ha- happy and things will be better. When the reality is Jesus really wrecks our lives. And mm-hmm. so we, we, we need to be honest with people about that. But he wrecks it in a good way and Absolutely. a way to make us more like him. So Absolutely. Yeah. Um. So we're going to have to speed up. We're going we're getting long winded here. Mostly me. But Mark seven. Biblical church discipline, another dirty word, right? Discipline. Yeah, and I think so. The idea is is that we, in the body of Christ, hold one another accountable, and and that's really kind of the bottom line. Is that is and but again, it's of course each one of these you can probably see is building on the other. You can't have church discipline if you don't have church membership, right. and and it, because it's really not about trying to discipline anyone outside our local bodies. It's about holding one another accountable. I think the idea of discipline uh, conjures up notions of punishment, Mm -hmm. uh, but we don't see that. I don't see that as biblical discipline. Biblical discipline is always with the goal of restoration. I think you see that like in first Corinthians, for instance. So, so yeah, it's just basically holding one, one another accountable to live as Christ would have us to live. And if we have sin in our lives to call each other on it and call one another to repentance. Right. right. It's not ret- it's not retrib retribid ret- what's that word? Ret- retributive. Yes. Retributive. That word. Man. Man, the South that does a little bit better teaching than I thought they did, huh? Yeah, there you go. We need some big <laughs> work. Um so it's not that, but it is restorative of, as you mentioned. So the whole goal is to restore another brother or sister in Christ with the end result if one is unwilling to be restored that results in excommunication from the church. But that's something that should be so far down the line that as gospel people who have been saved by grace should look to restore one another uh, with love and kindness uh, as much as possible. But if someone's just completely gone haywire, will not listen to any word uh, from anyone, then I I think we see just, I I know we see justification for removing them from membership and that doesn't mean that they can no longer come from the come to church. You know, um, maybe in certain circumstances, that's the case, depending on what is going on. Um, but for the most part, you know, it's it's removing them from membership, maybe uh, depending on on how you view this fencing the table uh, so that they're not able to partake in communion uh, and, and all that. So uh, Mark, a, a concern for discipleship and growth. Yeah, and I think that's something we've just been we've been talking about that this idea that we are to grow in our Christ likeness, we're to grow in our obedience to Christ, and and a lot of churches simply don't do that. Again, a really good example of that was several years ago where Willow Creek did the reveal study. If you're familiar with that. And they looked at kind of where they had been and how they were doing with people. And they discovered something is that people were not growing. 
and that disciple that they were really people weren't being discipled at Willow Creek. And to 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 Willow Creek's credit, they were very very forward with that, very upfront, and they they worked very hard to try to correct that. And I guess time will tell how they've done. But but this idea that we we do expect stuff from each other because it's what Jesus expects from us. Discipleship is not cheap. It is costly. And it is something that, that we, we're called to grow in Christ. And, and we have to hold part of being, that's part of what it means to be part of a church is we encourage one another. We exhort one another. We admonish one another to make sure that we're doing that. Lastly, biblical church leadership. This is going to, this is going to be probably the most controversial i think in our circles right um, if if you're taking uh mark dever's position um and i'll refrain from asking you what your position on biblical church leadership is but considering i'm not employed by ecgc i can give my opinion all i want right <laughs> so yeah no, I, I won't yeah i won't give i won't say that i think so dever's position basically is eldership plurality of elders mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people in our circles hear that and they go, we're not Presbyterian. We don't have elders. I think a lot of the issue is caused by a misunderstanding, number one, of what an elder is. And number two, what eldership actually looks like in practice. And then maybe number three is what is the congregation's role in church governance? Because I do believe the congregation has a role. I think Dever, well, I know Dever does as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, he would categorize, I think, what they do there as congregational in governance, mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. with even with the biblical eldership. So there is a role, certainly in Endeavor's model. Again, he would consider what they have congregationalism, true biblical congregationalism, mm-hmm. but not the sort of uh, sort of pure democracy, I guess, that we see in a lot of our churches where every man has a vote sort of on everything kind of, kind of deal. So, right. Yeah. So what they, what they essentially do and what he advocates for is like, you have an elder board. Um, I don't think he has, he's determined how many you should have per people or anything like that. It's kind of more of who has God called in that congregation to be an elder based on the qualifications found in scripture and giftings and what the needs of the church are and whatnot. And then suggesting that to the membership and then the membership affirming that they can either affirm that that man as an elder or not. Uh, They also take a complementarian view, uh, which I share um, in that eldership is a role designated uh, solely for men, not men and women, Um, not because women aren't gifted, but because everyone in the kingdom of God, everyone in the body of Christ has roles that they that they fill so um uh, i think when we look at uh the qualifications for elder it is clear to me although i know it's not so clear to other people um you're entitled to be wrong but um it is it is men who fulfill that role and again we'll talk more about that once we cover kind of each nine mark more explicitly later on just uh, as we're closing up uh, i want to wrap up with this question what are they missing in the nine marks? Uh, I think Mark Dever says in in the book, maybe it's in the preface or maybe it's towards the end. I forget exactly where, but he says these aren't the only nine marks of a healthy church. These are just nine that he's seen um, that are marks of what a healthy church looks like. Yeah, the only two and that I would would add, I think prayer is something that's not explicitly spelled out in the nine marks, and I think biblical worship. 
I think those two, those are two things that I would certainly want to, want to add in. And, and, but again, you use a phrase like biblical worship, then that requires you to actually define that biblical prayer and biblical worship would be two things that I would add. All right. Yeah. I think that's good to me. I would add two things, the sacraments. I, uh, and I think that's kind of inherent in what he talks about in church membership and in other places. So I would just like to see them more, developed than they are in the book although um you can't if you're trying to if you're trying to come up with the first nine you know i can see how well those kind of fall under another category so i get that um but i don't want people out there to think that he forgot about the sacraments they are very key into his theology and, and what yeah he's and endeavor is actually pretty 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 fickle about who can take communion if they come to capitol hill right i've heard some some talks about that Right. And I understand there are people who would say you have to be a member of this church to take communion with us. There are people that say you have to be a member of a church or you have to be just a Christian uh, in general. And uh, I totally get the different arguments for each one and whatnot. But I, I think that when when issuing communion, it is important to uh, to important to fence the table for the purpose of of those who are present, you don't want people to take, eat and drink the sacraments in, in a, or, or the elements rather in an unworthy manner, dr eating and drinking judgment upon themselves. Nor do you want to give it out that way. Cause as pastors and elders, we need to be accountable. Um, and we're accountable to God of what we're teaching and what we're doing in the ministry and how we're issuing those, those uh, elements. Uh, well, secondly, biblical fellowship slash community, um, the all the one another's that we see of scripture, um, those things I think are important, um, that aren't necessarily described in the book, uh, explicitly. But I think looking at how we relate to one another, having a uh, and maybe it kind of falls under uh, membership, but how we relate to one another as the body of Christ, how we're supposed to share all things in common, how we're supposed to truly be a community of believers who care for one another and seek to glorify God in all of our interactions. So those are the two that I have that, uh, Hey, that concludes, uh, the, the today's podcast on non marks of a healthy church. Um, Justin, do you have any parting shots? No, I think it's been great. It's a lot to absorb. Uh, it's a good, it's a book. Even if you don't agree with it, I think you agree with a lot, a lot of it. It's it's well, it's well worth your time to read. If if nobody's read it, it's and nonmarks.org. Their website is full of great, great information. Uh, even you will might not agree with all of it, but there's some really, really helpful stuff there. Yeah, I listen to their. They have a podcast, Pastors Talk, um, that you can find on iTunes, Stitcher, and other places. That is just tremendous. Um, I don't, I don't agree with everything that they say or everything they espouse, but I mean, they're just. It's a tr terrific ministry, and if you don't have the book and haven't read it, I encourage anyone out there to read it with uh, any pastor, any lay person who is interested, but especially elders and pastors. Go read the book, uh, Nine Marks of a Holy Church by Mark Dever. So that's uh, that's it for today. Thanks, Justin. Um, and yeah, thank you. Good day. God bless. <laughs>